Hi everyone, my name's Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. Hopefully you're all keeping well and staying safe wherever you're tuning in around the world. It's been a really productive few weeks at PDP. Not only are we working on more great coaching content for our community, but we've been having some fantastic conversations with clubs, schools and federations around PDP partnerships. If you're interested in a partnership with Player Development Project, head to playerdevelopmentproject.com and check it out there for a bit more information about how we can support your organization and your coaches. To give you a quick recap of some of the content we've produced in recent weeks, we've had a brilliant couple of webinars. Firstly, we hosted Nottingham Forest coaches Tom Mallinson and Lewis Bramley for a top discussion on the physical side of youth development. Lewis is the lead strength and conditioning coach for under 9-16 to 16 players at Forest Academy, and Tom works with the under 18 players. This was a great conversation on how to take an integrated approach, consider loading, and also maturation in youth development. We were also really privileged to host Chris Vanderhagen, Director of Coach Education at the Royal Belgian FA, for a webinar where he shared insights on the Belgian model of youth development, the importance of small-sided games, and much more. The Nottingham Forest webinar is available now for members on the website, and the replay of Chris Vanderhagen's event will be available in the coming days. We've also featured a new blog contributor, AFC A-licensed coach Andrew Oakley. Andrew shared an article on the importance of creating the optimum environments, retention of players in Australian grassroots football, and he comments on some concerns and offers up some great solutions regarding that local landscape. Finally, PDP coaching advisor James Coots' latest live session is now available on the website. This is an 8v4 practice which encourages players to play between or around opponents with a focus on encouraging them to recognise and exploit space in possession and defend outnumbered out of possession. Our latest piece of content is featured on today's podcast. We share an excerpt of our masterclass discussion with Trevor Chalice, under 18 coach at Bristol City Football Club. James Coote sits down with Trevor to discuss his playing and coaching career, and today, the portion of the conversation we're going to share sees Trevor discussing his experience working with the legendary Ray Wilkins and Ian Holloway. The full version of this conversation is available on the website now for members. Lastly, don't forget you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com. We are still offering a free 30-day trial for new members in order to support coaches around the world in what's been a really tough year. Head to playdevelopmentproject.com, select a monthly or annual membership option, and dive into our massive library of content. From learning modules and live sessions to Q&A videos and masterclass discussions, we've got all the resources you need to constantly improve your coaching. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi all, and welcome again to another Player Development Masterclass discussion. I'm delighted today to be welcomed by an ex-colleague of mine and a friend, Trevor Chalice. Trev is the under-18 league coach at Bristol City. Trev, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks, James. And you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Looking forward to this. It's been a long time coming. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. We're going to mix up the, the format of this one today. So, being an ex-player, playing against you, training against you, so knowing how competitive you are, we're going to have a little look at a few questions around your playing um career especially the coaches you played under any kind of little bits of advice or anything you took from those guys and then we're going to dive into your coaching journey or um how that kind of evolved and whether it where that is now so diving straight into it mate looking back in your earliest memory as a player can you describe your earliest memory for me mate 
I was uh, a little bit of a late starter personally. So if I look at the kids coming into academies now, they, they're literally coming in at six and seven. I probably didn't start playing until I was nine. Um, playground kid, uh, loved playing with, with the kids in the playground. And it was only a friend of mine invited me to his team to come and train and play with him. And uh, I went down, um, selected for the team and was pretty much quickly headhunted by the best team in the league. Uh, within the season um, and we had pretty much four really successful seasons and out of that team in my in my early days from 10 to 14 we had four professionals come out of that team that forged for playing careers whether it be Kevin Gallon at QPR myself a lad called Marvin Bryan was at Rotherham the Blackburn teams like that Matty Brazier who played for Cardiff uh, and Fulham so you know we had a really good team and we drove ourselves really really well um, but yeah, my, my earliest memories were, I was a left foot, obviously left footed. Mm-hmm. I was very, very technical based. I didn't want to get involved in anything competitively. I liked really? to float on the outside. I was, yeah, that didn't come to later, later in my career. Um, I certainly I, felt you know, those, that a few times actually in training. I'm pretty sure that came out by the end. That came, that came later, the, the competitive part in me. But, um, <laughs> but I could see a pass and I had a nice left foot and... I wasn't a bad size as a young kid either. Yeah, nice. That's really um, interesting. I had no idea that you, you joined so late. And from playing with you, mate, I would never have guessed. You always kind of sometimes assume that players with technical ability and, and um, a decent left foot have played for, obviously, since they could walk or very early age. But I think it's something, <clears throat> and we talk a lot about PDP and there's been discussions about like street football and the value in street football and like you said being a, a playground kid which I love the description there just coming out and I'm sure it was just you playing in the playground with your mates and finding the love of the game that way right well I was I lived on a council estate and all we had was football really at the bottom of our road we had a park and we spent literally every hour that God sent playing football whether older kids younger kids mixed age groups and I hear a lot of um I go to a little co- lot of conferences and uh, and I hear this this talk about mixed age groups and I'm all for it. And I think it's important because you learn from your peers. And if you just, if you keep your age groups together constantly, how am I going to learn from somebody two years older than me what he's doing? I want to aspire to what, do what he does. And that's going to push me to, to practice, to learn that skill or that move or, or try and do that, yeah. Yeah, we've... Um... Yeah, and I think growing up, we had something similar at Southampton where the older players, you, as a player, sometimes you're looking at those and learning off those. And um, <clears throat> I know we've had a discussion with um, Paul McGuinness where he talks about the story at United with Paul Pogba and Rashford and Lingard and these guys in the, in the cage playing with kids two, three, four years younger than them. And the value that that, that gives those young players and even the older players um, in terms of the, the skills they develop and the leadership skills. I think there's yeah, a lot to be said to incorporate in that and the value in that is, is massive. Um, so, so building on from that, mate, what, um, then obviously being a late starter, being in street football and joining outside, you then went and played youth football and, and ended up coming through and, and playing in the Premier League. How was, your, um, how was your youth team? How was your kind of set-up environment there? And, and have you got, I guess... Yeah, who was the biggest influence on you during that period? Well, 
before I went into the youth team, I was at the FA School of Excellence. So the, the, where I talked about the competitive edge, um, I went into there and there was players like Sol Campbell and Ben Thatcher and real competitive footballers. And I can actually remember the bell ringing one of the days thinking, if I don't go for this, if I don't really compete in every session, I'm just going to get left behind. And that's when I thought the real competitive part in me came out during that period. Um, so I had two years at the FA School of Excellence, which were brilliant, absolutely great years. And I hear a lot of differing stories about the FA School of Excellence, but I'm, I'm all for it because I love football. And I was playing every day. So it was, it was like doing a two-year scholarship <clears throat> two years early. So I've done my two years and went into QPR. Um, real successful youth team, won the League and Cup double. We had a centre-forward, Kevin Gallen, who, who broke Jimmy Grief's goal-scoring record, scored 60-plus goals in one season. Right. Um, so the team was very good. Again, out of that team, we had Daniele Diccio, who, who forged a good career. We had Kevin himself. There was Nigel Quasi who come through as a young lad playing two years in, in our year group. There was myself, there was Matty Brace. So out of a youth yeah. team, I think it was five or six players that actually went on to have good, really good careers. Um, we sort of moved together from the youth team into the reserves, what was used to be the reserves, mm-hmm. um, which we don't have anymore, which is now an under 23. Um, and the following year, we won actually won the reserve team league with, this, with the young group. So we knew that we had, a good group of players. It was just how good was the group group of players going to be? Yeah, nice. It's um, it's nice that you guys all kind of came through together. Do you feel, I guess, at QPR, um, obviously a, a big side back in, especially in the, the mid nineties, but they they gave a lot of you guys your chance and your opportunity. Um, today was there anyone, I guess, within the club a real driver of that in terms of bringing new players through? <clears throat> Ray Wiggins was huge for that. Jerry was good. Don't get me wrong. Jerry, Jerry left and he went to Tottenham. Um, I think it was a first year pro when that happened. And he was probably the best tactician I've ever worked for. His knowledge and um, what he wanted from his team and the way he set his teams out, he, he was brilliant, Jerry. Um, and not only that, he was technically good. He was captain of England. So we had the, utmo- the utmost respect for Jerry. But Ray was a big believer in giving youth a chance. Did he put too many in at one time, perhaps? But I think he was forced to. I think QPR was going through a stage where they were selling a bit of a selling club. So they sold a lot of experienced players. Les Ferdinand went, Andy Sinton went, um, Trevor Sinclair stayed, but he went eventually. So they did lose a lot of experienced players during that period. And um, some of the games I was thinking, God, this is, this is hard for us young lads. But it did give us other opportunity. Mm. So Ray Wilkins, because obviously he's such a huge figure and well, in the game, obviously, very, very sadly passed away now. But um, every time you see people talk about him, he's one of those characters, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word, not just about him as a player or a coach, but mainly as a person. From your experience, would that be a fair call? I think the biggest compliment I can give Ray is he was a great footballer, but he was an outstanding person and he was a great person. He could make your star centre forward feel, I don't know, a million dollars as much as the tea lady would. You know, he had that aura about him. We'd walk in a room and everybody would respond to Ray. Um, obviously, what happened to him was <clears throat> tragic, um, losing him so early. But, you know, you read all the eulogies which were written about mm-hmm. Ray. And for, for my person, personal account, you know, every single one's true. Everyone, every single one's heartfelt. And, 
he was massive for us young lads coming through. He spent hours just striking balls with us, he would. Um, and he taught us, you know, the meaning of training, staying behind after training, striking balls, getting out early. And he was always, he was 37, he was our player manager, but he was always with us, always out early with us, always last coming in. And, you know, to have someone like that guide you, the one who he's guided us, I thought was, mm. it was massive. It was massive for his young lads. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of, that mentor is, sounds like obviously a coach and a manager and, and gone on to have a great career as a coach. However, that that person for someone to look up to as young players and see how I guess he conducted himself, how he spoke and how everyone responded to him. I think that's something as coaches around the world I want to bring up a little bit later in terms of the, the art of um, communication, the art of relationship building that clearly someone like Ray Wilkins had. Just a quick one, going off on a tangent a little bit, um, a little story about Ray. I played a game against Wimbledon at the old Wimbledon crazy gang and it was tough. It was tough for me. I was a young fullback and we either had Mick Harford or John Fashion pulling between me and the centre-back and I was getting yeah, elbows okay. in my head. I had a really tough day and Monday, I can remember coming out the tube station on Monday opposite the training ground and Ray's Mercedes was 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 going past the training ground. I didn't want to see the manager. I just, so I put my head back in and bought paper and thought the car had obviously shot to the training ground and made my way out. He pulled up around the corner and he said, Trev, jump in. I'll drop you to training. And his advice was absolutely brilliant. I sat in, didn't want to see him. And he said, you're going to have many, many more tough days. He said, it's just how quickly you get over those tough gate days. Bounce back. You're a good player. Let's get, let's get going again. And I thought that was brilliant. Take that time, wait. <clears throat> Knew I'd had a tough game, but then give me that advice I thought was absolutely brilliant from Ray. Yeah, that's awesome. What a, what a great little story and insight into how those little touches and those little personal moments can really live long in the memory. So, no, that's amazing. Um, just, I guess, going back. So, England and the 21s. A few mm-hmm. caps of those guys. Um, QPR in the Premier League what was better in terms of making debut England under 21s or Premier League or have you had any other I guess career highlights as a player that would be at the top of the list it has to be my full debut my full debut was at Goodison Park it was against Everton Um, and it was a build up I'd be coming off the bench and I'd been involved in the team sat on the bench um, travelling with the first team and then I was pulled out in the hotel and said I'd be starting. And not only would I be starting, but I'd be playing against Andre Konchelskis, who was the right winger at Everton. Um, but again, Ray Paul, he said, I've got utmost respect. He's been playing well in reserve, but boom, this is your time. And he made me feel at ease. He made me feel good about myself. And I went out and I thought I played a really good game. So I thought my debut at Goodison was probably my absolutely my highlight. Then obviously getting the call, that summer that I was involved in the England 21 squad in the Toulon tournament was a very special moment as well, I have to say. Really special moment. So how uh, was that? How was, me. I guess, and I guess I haven't spoken to many people who have gone away with a national team in terms of a tournament like that. How was it in terms of, I guess, preparation, but the training, the downtime? And, and how did you find that as, a, I guess, obviously very different to your day-to-day with your club? Well, if you remember rightly, um, it was during the period of Euro 96 and okay. in the build-up, 
Euro 96, they had, they had the incident with Paul Gascoigne and oh, Teddy Sheridan. <laughs> so we were briefed in the hotel before we travelled out that, you know, we'd be scrutinised, we might, we'd have uh, media, we'd have press following us around. And as a young lad, I was like, whoa, this is getting quite big. This is getting quite serious, having press following you and having to watch what you're doing, making sure... Um, some of the players that travel with us, we had David Beckham travel with us, um, Lee Bowyer, Michael Brown. I'm just thinking uh, Richard Rufus, who I thought was excellent. And if it wasn't probably for some injuries, I think Richard Rufus might have gone on to do a lot better than he did. But um, the dealing with the downtime was difficult. It was hard, um, especially when you're going games quick succession. Um, so dealing with that, that downtime, I have to say, was difficult. Um, but it has given me that experience to teach that to the boys. So when we go away and, and play in tournaments, I either get the boys who are internationals in our teams to speak to the boys, or I speak about my own experiences, about getting your head down, about getting your rest and recovery, and not playing pool or snooker or in each other's rooms. And, um, you know, because recovery is, is massively important when you're preparing for a game in, in two days or, or the following day. Yeah, nice. Um... Okay, so towards the end of your career, and last one, I guess, in terms of from a playing perspective, but one I have to ask, a few years playing under Ian Holloway. I'm sure quite an experience. How, how was that in terms of how he is um, and how he comes across? And very charismatic, um, very, I'm sure, demanding, very intense. But he seems to um, have a great sense of humour as well. Yeah, well, you've just summed him up there. He's excellent. Um, one of the best man managers I've, I think I've ever worked with or played under. Like I said about Ray Wilkins, had that ability to make everyone feel special. In all the way, that ability that everyone would run through a brick wall for Ian. Mm. Um, some of his team talks were excellent. Uh, make your hair stand on the, on the back of your neck. Some of his celebrations after you won a game were obviously excellent. Well, they were as good as, you know, some of the songs in the dressing rooms and things like that. So, yeah, Ian is Ian and, you know, um, he's got a special way about him. He really has. I've got a lot of time for Ian all the way. I thought he was excellent. He was my old roommate as well, so oh, we bring God. together a lot. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.